Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening and watching another epic episode of Untold Stories, where together, you and I, twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, Bitcoin OGs, though have been those who have been around the space for a super long amount of time, politicians, CEOs, people that we've never heard of, developers, oh, and my cannabis doctor, uh, uh, my, my, my doc, my personal doc, everyone. We've had everyone going on three years of Untold Stories. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you for, for leaving me positive reviews, for supporting our amazing sponsors that allow us to, you know, there's like a, there's like, like a half a dozen people that, that uh, live off of the show, that work for the show, whether writers, producers, editors. I, I'm so grateful to all of them, but it's like the show supports you know, like a, like a half a dozen people. I love that, myself included. So thank you guys to all. All you have to do is listen. And it's like, you don't have to, I'm not asking for, for anything from anyone. Um, I'm about to start doing some amazing travels in the next coming months. Knock on wood, we'll be doing shows from, from Spain, France, maybe Turkey, talking to my, my, my guest today. He's invited me out to, to Turkey's blockchain week. So that kind of, it, when is it in October, right? Uh, November, something November. like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we'll talk about that. Um, George, thanks for coming on Untold Stories today. Oh, look, it's my pleasure. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Charlie. You were starting to tell me earlier on that you you uh, had been following kind of the story, but you've been around since the early bit instant days. Yeah, yeah. I, geez, it's it's a while now, isn't it? Like yeah, over the, 10 years. Time, yeah, it's more than <laughs> 10 years. It, it's good that it's a decade, though, so you can at least sort of round it up and go, hey, it's over a decade. It's some number between, you know, yeah. 10 and 20. <laughs> but I'm only in my 30s, so I've never had an experience of like saying, oh, it was a decade ago before. Like, you don't really do that it's until weird, you're in your 30s. It? It's a weird thing. Yeah. No, it's it's it, it, like, I, I guess to get started on um, sort of where where I came at, at Bitcoin, that was probably 2011. Uh, was when I got got into it, and I guess like most people were just sort of starting on the forums there uh, uh, and learning about mining, uh, building my own computers off eBay, um, arbing the MTGOX spread between MTGOX and Australia at the time. I was a poor student, and it was like a side thing that I could do to to make some money. So I used to see if I could do that arb three times a week, and I would make like one to two percent a week on it, converting the USD to AUD. Oh uh, yeah. Back in so yeah. <laughs> That's I how I got back then, It's it's interesting that you bring that up because other than Mountain Gox, been instant trade hill, there was like a top Australian exchange. I think it was called like Crypto Exchange. But the guy, I actually had like 10 grand in there and I never heard I never that was a decade ago. Whatever. <laughs> it's a decade <laughs> ago. What are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, back then, like as you know, there was only really a few exchanges. I think the first legit one in Australia was uh, Coinjar, um, and oh, they, yes. yeah, yeah, they, 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 they're still going. Um, I, I've, I've met some of the team there, and yeah, still they're doing still good stuff, going. That company's yeah. still around. I met the two founders a decade ago. <laughs> yeah. Those guys are great. Yeah. I need to write that down. Coinjar, man, I because I'm always trying to. I'm always trying to have people on the show and just talk to my friends who have been around. They're still like, you have the BitPay guys that are still running. You have all these different, you know, Coinbase, as much as we love to hate them or hate to love them, they're still around. Uh, there's so many companies that are, and I'm I'm forgetting a few of them right now, but uh, there's like, 
definitely a few of them that are still around that are the longest running. Oh, the other day there was a debate about it. The Kraken's still around. Their Ripple yeah. is 2013 or whatever. Um, there are a bunch of companies now that that can cross that that 10 year mark. I mean, if you're in the space and if you're a company, especially, and you're still running 10 years later in crypto, I mean, that's like the whole length of the whole industry. So, I mean, what did you do? What did you do then? Yeah, well, so I guess like I got started into it, um, just sort of building computers in my room, doing mining, making some money on the side. I taught myself finance just from that, probably like most people and just sort of hanging out on the forums long enough. Um, and I was, I was doing a, uh, electronics engineering uh, job at the time. I was a technician. I was working in a company that was like building cameras and doing stuff. Um, so that was my day job, but unofficially I would, you know, be doing a lot of crypto stuff on the side. Um, in, uh, in 2014, I decided to take off with a, a friend of mine and we, we went to Hong Kong to start a remittance startup, uh, called Bitspark and, um, Bitspark was, we were the first to do, uh, uh, cash in, cash out remittances uh, around the world. So, uh, so that was a whole journey in and of itself. You know, you go through the whole uh, vagaries of starting a new company, trying to raise money, trying to keep the lights on. I lived in a in a like a I guess you call it like a coffin hotel. Um, you know those things that's in Japan. Oh, or, yeah, you, know, you lived in one of like, those. Yeah, for uh, two and a half years, three years, something like that. Um, what was that like? Yeah. Uh, well, hey, I was. I was saving money on the startup, uh, and I used to have Seven Eleven sandwiches for uh, for lunch every day, and that was sort of my life for a couple of years there while we uh, spent the money elsewhere. Um, but I'm uh, taking yeah, look, so many notes great. right now from what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know that was a eye opening experience, basically like how money moves around the world. Because back then as well, it was it was a lot of people were focused on the transmission of money and how it's going to revolutionize payments and Western Union's not going to exist. You know, one of the things which you learn after doing that for a while is Western Union exists for a very good reason. And it's because they have the physical branch outlets everywhere. And it's always the last mile problem to solve. And then people come along and they try and solve it and they go, oh, we're going to do peer-to-peer. And uh, you, you, what you're going to do is you're going to send money in the USA to the Philippines, let's say, and your parents over there are going to go meet some random dude on the side of the street peer-to-peer and they're going to pick it up from this guy and they're going to find them through an app and all that sort of thing. A lot of people tried that. Um, uh, suffice to say, it didn't really work out. Um, you know, people didn't want to go and visit some random. They wanted to go to bricks and mortars. So anyway, we had to adjust to to some of those things. And um, yeah, I guess sort of time went on by the time we get to to 2020 and, and COVID and, and that sort of thing, uh, we decided to sort of shut that business down and, and move on. And for myself, I... I got stuck into DeFi and that's kind of sort of where my journey began in the DeFi side of things, probably, you know, 2019, 2020, something like that. Um, but it's taken a whole journey to get here uh, from all the different facets of crypto along the way and several markets and all sorts of things. So, yeah, yeah it's just a way. Yeah. It's cool because you can kind of like jump into so many different things from what you're doing in the early days. You know, you said that you learned finance from the forums. It's kind of funny how years later, uh, you know, I have a very strong readership of 50,000 plus people who depend on my research and, and my my team and my analysts at, at Investor Place, they call me like an economist. And I'm like, stop. There's no, <laughs> no Anyone who calls himself an economist is not an economist. I don't even know what that means. I went to school for business management and finance. You know, I just made it through college, but we all learned financial literacy 
because of Bitcoin, because of those early days, you think that yeah. it's almost like, do you think over the course of the last 10 years, let's talk about like the whole world. Let's talk about everyone. Do you think that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency will be seen as what made people actually care about what assets they have and how they're being managed? Yeah, I think definitely, right? Like, so looking at some of the countries that we used to, um, you know, transact in, like some of those exchanges five years ago had 3 million people. Um, yeah. I'm specifically thinking of Indodax in Indonesia. Um, so, and, and they always had a price premium. And why was that? It was because people were converting their local currency because they knew it was nonsense into something else, usually Bitcoin. Um, and that was just the way to, to move money. And, and that's why it always had a premium. People always net buyers there, um, no matter, you know, what the price was. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's stuff like that, which kind of illustrates like why people like, what, what do they really value? You know, and it, it's, you can literally see it expressed in the price of things. Essentially, that's, that's how we navigate the world. That's how, you know, a potato farmer is not going to plant a potato if the price is zero. He's only going to do it if there's something you know, profitable in it for him. So prices make the world go round and we have to, um, you know, ingest that data and realize like what are the stories behind it and why, why prices are the way they are. And I think in the case of crypto, the cool thing is that because you have this transport layer all around the world, that's like this, the same unit thing, which you can move everywhere, um, that, that kind of exposes the differences between different geographies quite well. So that, that's what I kind of like is like seeing all of the different weird ways where, where, you know, Bitcoin started and sort of got into, uh, you know, people's way of, of living and transacting and how they move money in, in different weird currencies around the world. It's, it's pretty interesting. So many, there are so many um, Bitcoin and crypto businesses that tried to succeed in that remittance problem. And I remember Bit, BitSpark, you guys were like a huge, and, and your, your, your partner, uh, uh, Maxine Ryan, and the whole team there, you guys really were uh, uh, growing and, and trying to solve that remittance problem. Like you said, the last mile. But do you think it was a timing thing? Do you think if, if someone tried to do like a remittance type of company now, it could be a lot different just because the world is, is looking at crypto now is they won't be maybe converting it at the last mile anymore. They're using the crypto and holding it. I don't know. Yeah, I. so I think the problem still persists. That's the first thing. Um, so there still is a need to move money around the world. There still is massive cash needs for, for most societies around the world. Um, in the case of Bitspark, like we were profitable in, in doing what we were doing. But the problem was when Corona hit, we, we had a product for physical cash shops, kind of like a POS oh, system. Yeah cash in, cash out, the, the product was for them. Yeah. Corona hits, all of them shut their doors, go to zero, right? So all of our customers go to zero. So we had to close up shop, essentially. But, um, you know, that kind of model, like, as you say, I think these days, though, there's so many more people that already have crypto and they've they've solved it somehow of these, these sort of wherever they get the fiat in and out. Um, but the market for people that just have crypto balances now is so much bigger than it was you know, five years ago. So you can build products and companies based on just people who have crypto. And I think that's the biggest change that's really happened is before it kind of be like, oh, how can I try and like build my product, essentially kind of dumb down the product to hide the crypto stuff so that you can go mass market. But now you can you can sort of keep the bar kind of pretty high in terms of uh -huh. knowledge of, of crypto and not have to sort of go to, to mass market to actually make a viable business. So I think that that's pretty cool. And, and that just opens the world up to more different cool business models. 
there's a huge, there's a litmus test happening about that. It's actually interesting that you bring that up. I was discussing that with someone yesterday. It's, it's, you know, the U. We used to build crypto companies for crypto company for crypto folk like us, like our companies would go on the websites. We knew the lingo. We knew how it worked because we were the demand, right? And eventually, we want to be building out businesses for the whole rest of the world. But it's a timing thing. UX needs to to work security. There's the whole blockchain trilemma that we can discuss with security, scalability, and decentralization. Um, you know, there's there's definitely that whole thing. So I'm always trying to figure out where that where the world is. And there's a, a litmus test that's happening in in court. Actually, I've been following the Voyager uh, digital bankruptcy because I have some money stuck up in there. So I've been following that that bankruptcy hearing. And I feel like over decades, I've just never learned on keeping my money in centralized exchanges. <laughs> I never learn, but it's a, it is what it is. Listen to everyone who's like who's got money locked up at Celsius and everything else. I'm still getting screwed too. It, it, it's not you. It's just this is it's it's a not it's a ten year old industry. Um, a little bit more than that decade. You know, going back to decade. But there's a litmus test because the the judge was talking about whether customers sufficiently understood the difference between USD and USDC in their wallets. And there's a lot of people who are now like saying that they didn't know that. And it, that's what's happening there. So it's definitely a, a, a conversation that people are having. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always thought that like, you know how you've seen order books denominate. Well, you used to see a lot more order books denominated in just USD. And that was what, and that usually indicated that that exchange had a local banking connection Oh yeah, um, but you saw the the local banking connections all diminish and and get screwed over time, and then pretty much, I mean, who who has an actual real bank as an exchange now? It's pretty much like there's one bank that's Silvergate, right? And there's maybe a couple of others on the west coast, but like you got Coinbase, I guess, and Kraken, yeah. but everyone else uses stable coins now, um, which kind of makes sense if you're an exchange because then you don't have to worry about all of the fiat nonsense. You I remember, of, yeah, Excha- uh, stable coins were amazing. We're like the yeah. game changer for the industry. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and you go anywhere, like um, you know, I'm I'm in Turkey at the moment. I'm a bit of a nomad, so I I just sort of drift around the world to whatever countries. But when I was here recently, like you go to the local OTC shop, which oh, by the way, I was walking around one day and saw eight of them. And oh one of them was literally branded just tether. Uh so you walk in there and then uh, they just like look at an ID and then you can just get cash. But they were uh, they were accepting like Tether on Tron uh, network and they're accepting Bitcoin and and that was it. Um, you know, so there wasn't there wasn't really many options. But um, the options that are there are kind of interesting and a bit weird and then varied here and there. So this but actually it always involves stable coins. It always involves stable coins, and and this actually is a good lead into Solana because if the whole world moves into digital finance as we know it now, you're going to have hundreds of different chains that that are purpose-built and purpose-driven that are good at certain things and not good at others. You're going to have chains that are built for transacting only, but you wouldn't keep your money there. Then you have other things like potentially Bitcoin where you wouldn't transact a lot, but you would feel more safe keeping your money there. And, and it's going to be like a point-graded system. However, it's done down, down the road. Um, to give everyone... A, a little bit of background of what you've been working on now. You 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 started a company called Step Finance, which is like the the front page of Solana, if you will. So like if Reddit's the front page of the internet and this podcast is the front page of all crypto, then 
<laughs> then, then you're the front page of Solana. And, and I've been spending a lot of time. I, I definitely put that coin in, in the top 10 right now of like the bit, the big majors. Right. And I've been spending a lot of time and I always like to take, and I think everyone should do this is understand, understand the top 10, go to coin market cap, look at what the top 10 are top 15, top 20 and understand what makes them all different. And if you could really understand that, the differences between them, then you'll understand the whole industry. You'll understand the whole market. Um, and so I'm curious to dive down that hole because Solana builds itself on being hyper, hyper fast and, and secure. And at the same time, if you're talking about someone in Turkey doing a remittance to someone in, let's just say Canada, uh, they, they would need something hyper fast. Whereas if someone comes along and says, well, Solana isn't as decentralized, well, maybe it's not built to keep large amounts of money there. Or maybe it is like, you tell me, how do you want to jump into this? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's always good to first start with the philosophy of a chain. And and that's, I, I don't know about you, but that's how I explain Brilliant. crypto to Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So Everyone you, repeat that again. Start with the philosophy <laughs> behind a cryptocurrency. And that that's how you get to actually learn what it's about. So as you say, there's a lot of cryptocurrencies out there and they're all trying to do different things, right? We started with Bitcoin. Bitcoin's kind of moved into being this digital gold thing now. Cool, you know, great. Uh, but it, it's not, Bitcoin's not trying to build at the moment really like apps on top of it and essentially a financial system. So there are other chains that are trying to build a financial system and, and gold is a valuable thing. So is the financial system. So like these are also valuable things that we should strive to decentralize and, and you know, uh, be able to to transact with anywhere in the world. So, okay, cool. Now we understand that uh, we we do need financial apps. So what's the best way to build them? Well, if we build financial apps, let's say it's like getting a loan or maybe it's like we say, we were talking about exchanges before and how they can like disappear with people's money. Yeah. Can we have decentralized exchanges that all do that in the code and that's all transparent and open source? You know, these things I think are, are fundamentally useful and valuable things and we should absolutely build them. And, and what Solana is trying to do, it's it's a smart contracting platform. It's also built for speed uh, and uh, scalability in mind. So it means that if you're to have this financial system, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on with this system. So there's going to be a lot of people transacting. There's going to be a lot of people paying for things, getting loans, you know, uh, putting money on DEXs and stuff, uh, yield farming, whatever it might be. So it also has to be low cost. Um, and we're talking like not just a couple of dollars per transaction. We're talking like one cent or less. Um, you know, I think that's that's something which uh, which we should achieve to be is is to have a decentralized financial system that's cheap and, and easy to operate. So essentially, that's what Solana is trying to do. Now, how does it stack up against you know the rest of the people that write the same words yeah. on their website? Yes, there's a lot of people that write the word DeFi on their website and say that they have these different things. But I guess what Solana has is it has a critical mass. Last year, it didn't. Um, last year, it was a brand new thing, one of these new chains up and coming that no one's ever heard of. Um, but really what happened was you went from really like three apps on the chain when we started Step. Uh, we came out of a hackathon uh, essentially to, to be like a portfolio manager for those three apps. But now in the latest hackathon, you had 550 submissions. Um, oh you've God. got over like 100 different protocols just of like DeFi different things. 
Um, you know, we ourselves, we have to integrate with the entire ecosystem to display essentially where your money is at any one time. Steps like that window to sort of show you where your money is in all these different protocols. So um, so we're quite familiar with all of the different ecosystem. But so the thing is, like, it does have that critical mass now. It, it has got all of these different verticals that people think of when they talk about DeFi. You know, it's got your DEXs. Not only does it have one, it's got like five. Okay, it's got lenders. Not only does it have one, it's got six. Um, it's got like futures contract platforms, options things. It's got NFTs. By the way, one of the largest marketplaces in the world, Magic Eden for NFTs, is now uh, in some metrics larger than OpenSea. Um, so I you saw know that, that. yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So whatever people think about NFTs, it's like okay, cool, but it's a thing and it's happening and people are paying money for it. So, so all of these different things, right? That, that's why it has critical mass and that's why it's important. So. You've got the Ethereum ecosystem as well, which, hey, that's sort of where I started learning about all these sorts of things. Great. It's got a lot of uh, money and capital behind it. It's got a lot of these other verticals as well. Great. We can talk about the differences perhaps between them. Um, But yeah, I would just say that, you know, Solana right now has a a good critical mass. It's got a good developer community. And you can like kind of tell that from the people just launching new apps. It's going through that like early Ethereum days time when... When Ethereum, like a lot of Ethereum wallets were getting hacked and people were like saying, oh, Ethereum was hacked and Ethereum was hacked. Like this was like the 2016, 2017 days. It's kind of going through that that process now. It's Although like, you know, it's never like the chain itself, but it's always, it's usually apps on top of it. You know, it's like, remember we used to make the jokes that, oh, the dollar has been hacked because when a bank failed mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but let's start with the consensus algorithm. Um, I understand proof of work. We talk about proof of work mining a lot. Uh, King Vitalik is the new uh, proof of stake chairman now. He's going to be pushing that come September. Although I'd love, we're going to spend like the, the the last 30 minutes of this episode talking about what you think if the Ethereum hard fork is actually going to happen. But what's, how is, uh, how is Solana built and how is it different? Yeah, so I guess Solana is, maybe what you would say a somewhat derivative of proof of stake where it's it, they call it proof of history, um, proof of elapsed time essentially, where you have a number of node validators. Right now there's like 2,000 different node validators, I think, that are on the Solana network. And, and they're the ones who, who validate and verify the blocks. And essentially you can delegate your soul to these validators and you get paid a reward for doing that. So in that respect, it's quite similar to, uh, to proof of stake. It's like delegated um, proof of stake? Similar to delegated proof of stake. Um, you, you do have, there's like some technicalities, which I'm probably not the best person to, uh, to talk to, but sure. it would be very similar to like delegated proof of stake they saw originally with like BitShares or, or something like that, which has, you know, high performance and, uh, and, and those sorts of things in mind. So essentially you have liquid staking, you have the ability to vote for delegates, which are good essentially and doing their job. And what does good mean? Well, it means that they're verifying blocks. If, if they say that they're a delegate and their nodes offline, then don't vote for them. Um, so, you know, it's got that sort of mechanism to it as well. So at the end of the day, you do have a, uh, a, a network of active validators and people are often like, oh, you know, the Solana network, it's not decentralized. Can you like turn the on and off button again? It's like, cool. Which one of the validators has the on and off button? Like, you yeah, pointed good point. out. Well, what's <laughs> happening there in those times that there were network pauses? Like what was going on there? Yeah. So, I mean, there's some teething problems, shall we say, with the early you know, days. Some of the 
Yeah, it's early days, right? So like a bunch of different reasons why that happened. Essentially, okay. for, for the most part, there was a lot of activity on the network, a lot of bots spamming transactions. Um, then those transactions would clog up the what what's essentially the first person to verify blocks, the leader. Um, so that first person to verify, like in delegated proof of stake, when when you know in advance, yeah. you know, who's actually at random, by the way, who's going to be validating the blocks. Um, so a lot of spam slowing that down, slows the next person down and so on. So it's it's kind of like, okay, but these are also things which show that people are using it as well. So These are you know, stress Solana, tests, we call yeah, them. Yeah, it's like, Right now, Solana, last I checked today, was like 2,300 transactions per second. Um, Ethereum's like seven or something at the moment, or however many it is. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's in that. that So we're talking about like a different level of activity here. And and how Ethereum solved the scalability problem is, is going to layer twos and L2s. The, the issue with that is it silos a lot of those programs, applications, and liquidity. So essentially you have to move and bridge your funds to an L2 and you can't like address any of the other stuff that's going on on Ethereum within a single transaction. You have to cross the bridge first before you can do that. So you can only live in your little walled garden and, uh, and Hey, that's great. Yes. It solves scaling for that particular app. But in the case of Solana, you've got the entire L1. There is no L2s. The entire L1 is addressable. So in the case of say Serum, wow. which is yeah, it's, so Serum's the order book decks, the equivalent of something like a Binance or something like that, where you can have an order book and you can post orders. You can address a transaction on Serum the same as you can a, a lender, and you can do that in the same transaction if you want, or, or you can transfer funds and then deposit it somewhere else. And there is no liquidity silo. So that's why I would say it, it's quite a, an interesting and compelling um, you know, proposition because there is no siloed liquidity pools. And those liquidity pools have been siloed because of scalability issues with how Ethereum has managed things, uh, you know, currently and, and been able to grow. And hey, Ethereum 2, all the best. Maybe that'll solve it, you know, with sharding and all this kind of stuff. Sure. Great. Um, but we're not there yet. So at the moment, Solana's doing it and it's getting a bunch of traction for doing so. Okay. So let's take a step back for a second because you're, 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 your opinion is very different than than a lot of the guests that we've had recently in in when it comes to like the L2 L1 siloed information future. So so a lot to to give an overview a lot of the uh chains Ethereum included are moving towards this like even Bitcoin to an extent like layer 2s. Let's build these apps on top. The layer 1 needs to be the state that never has changed. And I understand the arguments why, you know, because making changes to the main chain is hard if no one has ever figured out how to like do that fast but protect it and then at the same time you're having to wait to transact and everything but i understand the downsides what you're telling me is that everything is siloed which is what we're trying to solve in the first place so i get that completely and and it would be really wonderful if you didn't have to have multiple chains and multiple layers because then like you said a lender and a dex could all work within each other. So mortgage applications and different type of things can all be built in one smart contract. That's very attractive. That's very attractive for a lot of people. Wow. And, like and I never, how, yeah. Yeah. And and how I see it evolving as well is like to, let's say in our case, a lot of the people that come to step are brand new to crypto. They don't know that Ethereum exists. They usually come through something like Solana or Binance chain or something else. And they've heard about these lenders and these different things. So they they come into this ecosystem with with no 
foresight or, or what's what's gone before. So if you go and tell them that one of these other chains is doing it, it's like, okay, don't really care. Like I'm already used <laughs> to that. Um, but also like if you told them that you had to cross a bridge every time you had to go and, and do something new, they probably wouldn't want to do that. But also I think people treat these L2s, new users treat L2s kind of like how you would think about an L1 because like, are you, let's say you're a new user. Are you going to tell them, oh, okay, you want to go to optimism on Ethereum. Okay, what you got to do first, A, you got to get some ETH. So you got to go to a centralized exchange, you got to go to KYC, then you get some ETH. And then then what you got to do is you got to go to the bridge. And then you go to the bridge and you got to move the ETH. But by the way, uh, you need some gas to pay on the other side. So like, that's why you need the ETH first. But then you need to get the USDC and also cross it to the bridge of the L2. Cool, now you're on the L2. So all of these different like steps before you can actually get started. Um, whereas like exchanges don't have direct connections to L2s yet. Um, so I think the way that people think of it is, is maybe exchanges will have direct connections to L2s, but then they'll just think of it, oh, this is optimism chain, or this is, you know, a ZK oh, rollup yeah. or something like that. So they will just think of it in terms of L1. So I think it's kind of a losing battle to be a expecting people to understand these L2s, but also to like people want to transact on just one thing. They want to know that, hey, I'm on the Solana chain. That that's what I'm on right now. I'm not on like two or three different things all over the place that's technically the same thing, but not really. And the security comes from the same place, but not really like I feel yeah. like Solana is almost like Bitcoin is the closest thing to Bitcoin that I've seen because when you're using Bitcoin, you're using Bitcoin. But when you're using, a lot of times using Ethereum, I'm connecting my MetaMask, I'm transacting. I forgot to change the chain sometimes yeah. on my MetaMask. I'm transacting on like a completely different chain. I'm doing all these transactions because yeah. the addresses are the same. Yeah. So I'm like, what's going on here? It's yeah. it's confusing. It, it is confusing, for, especially for new people as well. So if you just give people, here's one system, it's called Solana, it works. By the way, it's got all the apps that everyone else does. It's got JPEGs on it that you can go and buy NFTs. It's got lending sure. platforms, it's got DEXs, it's got all this stuff. You have this one wallet, let's say it's Phantom is a popular one, or there's other ones as well. And there's like 10 of them uh, now at the moment. So there's quite a lot of choice there. So like, it's just one thing that you can give people rather than trying to understand the intricacies of these different kind of stuff. And I think as crypto people, we understand the intricacies, right? But yeah, we, we have to also, we have to take a step back and be like, do people really want to learn about three different L2s to like achieve one thing that they're looking to do? Like, is that is that moving the world forward in any way? Um, so yeah, look, that, that's just sort of how I see it and, and how I approach it. And that's why I think Solana has, you know, some some good formula there. Guys, I am so excited to talk about our newest presenting sponsor, SafePal. SafePal is an all-in-one solution. You got a beautiful hardware wallet. You have this amazing fireproof cipher. You got a mobile wallet, an extension wallet similar to MetaMask. You're talking about an all-in-one solution for all of your crypto needs. Founded in 2018, SafePal is a Binance Labs-backed, Singapore-based company, uh, the venture arm, where their mission is to make crypto secure and simple for everyone. You got cross-chain swapping, trading services, and more. SafePal supports over 40 different blockchains. I mean, check this out. Look at this. If you back up your private seed in this beautiful metal SafePal backup here and you keep it in your safe, fires or water or nothing degrading over time, you should not be backing up your crypto on pieces of paper. I mean, look at this. Look at the S1 here. It's so cool. 
this is the hardware wallet you're talking i'm used to using the trezor or the ledger wallet but safepal is a lot better because not only do you get the hardware wallet and the backup cipher but you also get the mobile wallet the uh, extension on your google chrome or whatever firefox you use so it all works together you don't have to worry about man in the middle attacks and everything like that you can go to safepal.com use the coupon code charlie and you'll get any of these amazing products the extension wallet is free, the mobile wallet is free, the hardware wallet and the backup are really, really well priced. It's all super safe and secure. And I love it. I mean, there's no other way you should be using your crypto than SafePal. Speaking of, of uh, you know, bringing the world forward and, you're, and you being a digital nomad, um, you're living in Turkey. And I get frustrated because a lot of times I'm here in the US and I'm having to like explain to people that Bitcoin and crypto are not a U.S. thing, and the majority of the utility of why it even exists and people use it is not a United States thing. Like you said, you went for a walk and you saw eight different OTC shops. There's a reason they exist on the street level, right? I mean, Turkey, tell me more about what it's like living in Turkey right now with the whole crypto community. I'm for, My family moved over to the U.S. from the former Ottoman Empire, so I've been... I'm. Uh, uh, like in the northern Syrian region, that's where I'm from. And that was like Ottoman. So like Turkish food, Syrian food. My family lived there since since they went from the, after the Spanish Inquisition, they went from Spain in the late 1400s, family went to to, to Turkey. So, I mean, it, it's in my blood. Tell me what it's like. I mean, I just love baklava. That's amazing. Okay, you need to come visit then. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so look, uh, when I first got here, um, a couple of weeks in, I reached out to some friends. I ended up having lunch with one of the exchange operators here. And uh, he was he was running a very big and successful exchange. And a couple of things were really interesting that he said. Number one, in 2021, there was, for most of the year, they had a million signups a month to the exchange in Turkey, local Turks. Oh, wow. So that's the first thing. Absolutely massive, right? Number two, uh, he said about one third of, of the country has a crypto exchange account, usually Binance um, or, or some other one, right? And, and I said, wow, that, that's insane, man. Like, are you, are you sure that, about those numbers? And then he said, okay, let me uh, ask the waiters. And we had two waiters at the restaurant we were at. And, and he said, oh, which one of you like has a crypto exchange account? One of them did. So that was a 50% hit rate. Oh, my um, God. And you know, so it, this is a very crypto savvy society that's adopted it. Now, Why? Well, you may be, people may have seen on the news about the lira. You know, the lira, the currency is not doing too well. Um, you know, it went from, what was it, like uh, five lira to the dollar like a year or two ago, and now it's, I don't know, 17 or something now. Yeah. yeah. So if you had money in, in lira and that's how you saved, you get wrecked. So people were looking, A, for an outlet, and, and crypto is one of those outlets. You had a lot of companies uh, pop up and fill that void. And it's also like, especially Istanbul, like Istanbul, old Constantinople, like it's always been a crossroads for traders and people doing stuff and market. Oh my God, no like one realizes you're talking about like Istanbul was Constantinople, you know, the, the center of like the, the Byzantine and Roman empires. But, but even today, Turkish Airlines is the largest airline in the world. If you go somewhere where you need to cross half of the world, you're probably stopping over in Turkey as you should. And Turkish Airlines is awesome, by the way. But yeah, like it's it's the center, 
like if you look at a map of the the U.S. of the world and everything like that, look at a map of the U.S. It really <laughs> is such a great place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it it's still got a lot of that um, that vibe and and soul to it. So I think yeah, like if you were to if you were to look at it as a like a crypto destination, it's definitely up there. Um, in the case of Step, um, we all of our all of our website to date has been in English, um, and I think as well the crypto community maybe um, doesn't appreciate that English is a like this is not the world. The, the world is not English language speaking. Like we're very lucky that we speak this international language, but the rest of the world doesn't. So are there ZK roll-up documentation written in Turkish and Vietnamese and you know no. Thai and whatever else? Probably not. Right? I don't even understand so, it in English. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I think there is an opportunity there um, that there is actually a really large sort of untapped market still yet to be yet to be had in crypto of just really just translating what's happening in the rest of the world. So for us, Turkey's number two in terms of the number of users that visit Step. Um, and then it's like other places, whether it's, I think, Thailand, Nigeria, you know, a bunch of other places. So like, it, I think that's super excited. Now, I'm personally excited about that because I think like that's that's why we got into it in, in the early days is we wanted a new financial system that made the world a better place. And, and I think that if we can essentially disseminate the information behind crypto, whatever that might be, um, I think that's, that's just going to lead to better outcomes in the world. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm super happy about um, yeah, trying, to, trying to grow things here or, or elsewhere. There's this anti-maximalist feeling, I should say, or like um, uh, 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 not groups of people, but there's like an anti-maximalist type of uh, thread going through all crypto social, the crypto social world right now, especially on crypto Twitter and things like that. And I kind of like that because maximalism was creeping up in a, in a bad way. And it was coming from Bitcoin maximalist, Ethereum maximalist, Solana maximalist, everyone just attacking each other. But now there's this like anti-maxi maximalism. And I've always been like a decentralization maximalist. I, we, we've talked about it on the show for three years. And you know, you got to, like you said, look at the philosophy of every chain and you judge every chain on their own merits. And even if they're in early on and they're not fully decentralized yet, as long as they're on that like path to decentralization, then they're, they got a good check mark in my book. But I'm loving this like, hey, it doesn't matter anymore. We just need cryptos to be one and only. I, I love that. It's been great. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think as well, People should appreciate like these different chains and and yes, they're all different and they're trying to do different things. That's okay. That's a, that's all right. You know, you, not everything has to be the next Bitcoin and not everything has to be a one one winner takes all. Like I, I absolutely think that it's going to be a multi-chain world and it already is. And that there's no way to stop that. Um, like, what are you going to do? Every, everyone's going to be like, I, I don't, I, I don't follow the logic of maxis. It's kind of like, okay, let's say everyone does use some chain. Does that mean like some random dude in Siberia who wants to make a chain is just not going to anymore? Like, no, like smart people with a laptop are going to go and invent something cool and yeah. they're only going to invent, invent it if, if it's useful. So maximalism okay. comes from, maximalism is very simple. What it comes from is basically you decide that you want to maybe subconsciously you want to be a popular person or you want to grow your influence in, in a community. The, there's a fast way to do that. The fastest way to do that is to pigeonhole yourself into like a very controversial or uncontroversial opinion. And you just bang your drum on that one opinion and you grow faster than someone like you or I who likes to dissect things and understand them. And that person's influence grows faster. But once they're on the top, they're pigeonholed. 
You can, they yeah. can't, you're stuck. You, 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 you can't change your opinion because you've built your whole base on that. That's where maximalism comes from. So now maxim, but, but the funny thing is no one really cares. So all it took was some people that were maximalists to say, Hey, I was wrong. Let me start to understand this stuff. And then the whole, do the whole house of cards collapsed over the last like six months. Bear markets always do that. Bear markets. You've been around 10 years, a decade, right? Like the bear markets always like cut out the fat and like weed out the bullshit and the, fl and like just kind of cleans, cleans it out, cleans out, cleans it's like out. going on a cleanse, you know, cleans yeah. the body. Uh, speaking of that though, man, I'm, I'm great at my transitions today. Um, I don't want to forget about talking about, I want to get your opinion on the Ethereum hard fork. Vitalik yesterday announced a date around September 15th, the difficulty bomb that he's been talking about for shit, seven, eight years now is coming. <laughs> Pretend my listeners don't really understand. Can you give a little bit of an overview of what's happening here? Well, I mean, we now have a date for Ethereum switching to proof of stake, right? Which it's what is it 13th of september or something or around that my actually fifth year wedding anniversary and the date i got released from prison is the date of the ethereum merge there you go special day special day it's a great day <laughs> so like it so the way that ethereum currently validates itself is through a lot of people doing proof of work so a lot of gpus mining and and mining in general right so ethereum's going to be switching to to proof of stake um and i guess that the theory with the difficulty bomb is well like, what if people don't stop mining? <laughs> so to avoid that, uh, this difficulty bomb just makes it super ridiculously impossible to, to mine. So the, the assumption is that everyone will just switch to, to proof of stake, uh, you know, anyway, because you won't be able to mine. Um, in terms of forks and those sorts of things, I haven't been been reading up on on a lot of those forks, but I know there's like are people looking to fork the chain just before the difficulty bomb to to erase it and keep the proof of work. Like we, we already have a proof of work Ethereum chain. It's called Ethereum Classic. Like that was the original fork back in the day. <laughs> Ethereum Classic merged after uh, the DAO because after the DAO, so there was a big. So actually, it's a great point to bring that up because we're talking about you know like having uh, Ethereum was so early on and it didn't have like a lot of these. You know, basically, it's smart contracting language. Solidity wasn't well fleshed out enough, uh, and 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 a hacker was able to get in and basically drain one of the first smart contracts. And a lot of people on Ethereum lost money. So the Ethereum Ethereum was so small at the time. You were able to get all of the miners, aka the Ethereum Foundation, together, and they they I'm like dumbing it down a little bit, but they they rolled back the chain. They basically froze the hackers, and a lot of people were pissed off about that because. They were like, well, you just basically gave up immutability. If you're going to freeze the hacker's funds, what if you freeze Charlie or George's funds? So people say fork that chain. I remember Barry Silbert was a big proponent of it and a bunch of other people. Ethereum Classic's still around. It's doing very well, actually. Um, so you're saying that because of Ethereum Classic's existence already, there won't be another fork because the Ethereum people can just mine Ethereum Classic? That's a very interesting point to make. Oh, they, they, they could be like people can fork Ethereum at any time, right? As long as the hash rate sort of uh, goes in that direction. Sure. I, I would say it depends on exchange support and, and buy-in from them. So I guess you, you remember with Bitcoin cash fork oh, and, yeah. And, and yeah, Ethereum, like essentially when these things happen, miners look at it from an economics perspective. I have X amount of giga hashes. What am I going to direct 
my uh, my hashing power too. This one is, you know, the baseline profitability. This one's 5% more profitable. Okay, I'm going over here. And I'll go over here for seven days as long as I can mine that extra 5% and then I can maybe dump it and, and you know, regain more profitability. Then. So it's, it'll come down to if there are additional forks, are there exchange support for that? Are people uh. actually buying those tokens? And then that makes it actually profitable or not to mine. And then the miners will, will make the decision. Like the miners who have got this sunk cost of infrastructure, like they're still going to look to mine yeah. something. I guess the question is what. And that's my point. It's it's they're not being given two choices here. They're being the choices are shut off or shut off. That's the only yeah. choice, right? Yeah. There's no. And I so I don't understand. And I get need to read. Has the difficulty been already? It's already preset. So it's not like miners need to agree to anything. It's happening regardless, right? Yeah, I believe. Yeah, it happens yes, at a, a specific sure. block height. Yeah, it's already baked in. It's not like where with something else like a Bitcoin hard fork, everyone have to vote and it'd be like a vote. This is already baked in. So you have all these miners who are basically it's like buying a car, knowing that at a certain point it's just not going to work anymore. So when they bought the car, you're saying maybe they knew that and they've already planned now to do something. Can you mine? And this is a question I should already know the answer to. Can you mine with an Ethereum miner on another chain? Let's find out. Uh, I think like most Ethereum miners are still GPUs, right? So you, you should yeah. have quite a, They're not ASICs. A, You're not mining Ethereum on ASICs, right? So yeah, I think you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's, and certainly like Ethereum Classic will, will be compatible as well. Um, I guess, yeah, where's this hash rate? But uh, as you said, didn't the miners already know that this was going to happen? Like this is not a new thing. You know, people have been talking about this for years. So I always said, um, you know, why uh, miners um, keep investing in a lot of the mining infrastructure for Ethereum when they know it's like literally has an end date? Uh, and what are you going to do then? Like, I guess their hope is to either sell off the miners that they have or repurpose it to another chain. But the other chain might not have the liquidity to to support that, you know. Um, so it's going to be an interesting time next month. That, that's for sure. <laughs> I totally, totally agree. And I'm looking forward to it. And I think that it'll actually be like this bullish catalyst just because you'll have the election season coming in the US and a lot of regulations, hopefully soon. Um, I want to jump back to Solana before we end the show. One of my analysts, Matt, brilliant guy. He's he's very, very bullish on Solana. Uh, I was telling you earlier at, at our research firm, Investor Place, um, he, wrote a, he wrote a question. He's, he loves Solana so much. He said, um, he wants to to ask you what your thoughts on Solana's approach to mainstream adoption. He said the phone, the uh, uh, IRL store, Solana Pay are super cool. Uh, onboarding people to Solana has always been incredibly simple and fast. But outside of his friends and artists, his friends that are artists and tech enthusiasts, it's hard to find reasons to try onboarding uh, other people other than like, hey, buy some of this because it could be really cool in the future. So he's just curious what Solana's thoughts on like mainstream adoption are because Bitcoin and Ethereum have gone that route of like blockchains are destined to exist behind the scenes for consumers like AWS. But Solana seems that's going after the user. Like you said, the last mile. Yeah, so I guess you think of how do these blockchains currently um, develop products in general? You know, so how does Bitcoin develop quote, a product. Well, there is no Bitcoin organization that directs things. It's just like something that exists and someone thinks up a product. But 
Bitcoin is quite limited, as we said before, in, in what it can offer. And okay, maybe that's by design. Ethereum as well, the Ethereum foundation exists, but it's not like a thing that's actively going out there and trying to do something. So sure. I guess the, the the cool thing on the face of it is that at least Solana has some sort of organization which is trying to move the needle forward. And the thesis is, well, okay, uh, mobiles are a thing. Everyone has a mobile in the world. There's billions of them. And they're only growing in terms of bandwidth and yeah. capacity and speed and blah, blah, blah. And they're in every country. Cool. Okay. Now, the next question is, is everyone on crypto using mobiles for stuff? And I think the answer to that is no. Like most of us, uh, for, for mobiles, pretty much what what you have in crypto is like a wallet. And, and even if you have a wallet, like you don't really yeah. store much money in that wallet. And you kind of store it there for what purpose, really? It's like the 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 one-off chance that you walk past like a Bitcoin supporting pizza shop or something, and then you can, Hey, I can go and pay for it. And that's cool, but it, it's not really huge. Right. So what Solana is trying to do is trying to bring these two things together. If everyone has a phone, phones have a lot of capability these days, crypto needs to grow. What can we do to help grow it? So look, I, I back in the Hong Kong days, I was uh, speaking to HTC when they had their, their HTC crypto phone. And I was sort of helping advise them on, on a few different things. And we we're trying to get remittances working in the app at the time. Um, look, great phone came out. It's cool to see HTC getting behind it. But it only sold, I think, a few thousand units and it didn't really catch on. So when I first heard about the Solana phone, I was like, oh, here we go again. Like, you know, it's another thing. Yeah, that's, you've been there, that, done that. Not, yeah, been there, done that. And lots of people tried. But you know what? At least they're trying. That's the first thing. The second thing is it's not about the phone. It's actually about the app store. I think. So the app store, which they're trying to push with this as well, um, is, is ascent like Apple and Google, A, they have a monopoly. B, it's like where they take for the average app transactions, like 40%. Crazy. C, they don't even allow most crypto things in general. So having just a new app store exist and flourish with a bunch of apps is going to be cool. And, and at least Solana has a very active dev system, probably one of the largest around um, that is active in like building apps for it. So I guess that's the thesis is have a phone, have a cool app store, get a bunch of devs to build stuff for it, and then put it out there and see if it works and see if it moves the needle. If it doesn't, okay, cool. It's not like, you know, Solana's going to go to zero or anything. Like, you know, it's it's Solana Labs, some company that's funding it. So whatever, cool. It either works or it doesn't. If it works, great. You know, a billion people in the world now have access to, to financial applications. Uh, if it doesn't, okay, well, next next thing. Um, so yeah, look, I, I'm I'm pretty pretty bullish on um, you I know at that. least them. Yeah, just just the whole concept of at least trying something new. Because otherwise, what are we doing? We're talking to the same people all the time. It's the same crypto people. They're yeah. they're using multiple chains. We've all heard all of the arguments all the time. Like you and I could spout off all of the Bitcoin arguments for the last ten years. They're literally the same thing, right? <laughs> from, from back then. Yeah. You know, so. At least it's trying something new. That, that's the amount what I of eye say. rolling that I do yeah. when I'm browsing Twitter is just, I don't even respond anymore most of the time to some of these things, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> George, I really appreciate you doing the show today, man. Like I've been thinking about splitting up my shows into like parts, like splitting it, like have this into two episodes just because there's a lot of information, chock full of information, stories and stuff like that. Let's see. I actually would love some feedback from the listeners. If you guys like, would like me to split up these shows into like 30 minute episodes instead of the longer one hour shows, shoot me an email. It's on untoldstories.com. George, you're the man. 
I can't wait to hang out with you in Turkey. Hopefully November, it's my birthday week. So maybe we'll, we'll do it then we'll hang out. Let's do it. Uh, we'll eat some amazing food and, and, and meet in person. So really appreciate you taking the time and coming on Untold Stories. How can my listeners follow you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at George underscore Harrop. Um, that's probably the best place to find me. Otherwise, anything related with Step Finance, I'll be lurking around in the Discord. I mean, <laughs> amazing. I'll talk to you later. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Charlie.